Hello there, my friends and fellow warriors. I've got another warrior chat episode here, and I have my son Sean here with me again. And hey, say hi, Sean. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Of course. Um, so, you know what? We were thinking about having a chat with you and, and just giving you some perspective on facing, having the courage to face things that are so foreign to you and so unknown. And it's kind of funny because I'm constantly telling people, face this, face your fears. And, you know, what is the natural reaction to a fear? Turn and run. Yeah. Fight or flight, they say, right? Right. I mean, I don't I don't like scary movies. Do you like scary movies? I do. So you asked the wrong person, but... I hate scary movies. Like, who wants to pay to be scared? I don't get that. What is with that? Tell me. I don't know. I think there's something to getting, forcing yourself to be uncomfortable makes you a little bit stronger mentally. So I think there's something to that. Some Sometimes we uh, create hard moments to make ourselves feel uh, harder, if that makes sense. Like people who do cold plunges and get in a sauna that's 165 degrees, it's creating these intense moments so the rest of your life seems even easier. I think there's something to that. But that's also that. kind of like facing a fear. I mean, it's, yeah. it's interesting. I never thought about that. So isn't that interesting that at a very young age kids are, are facing fears. Yeah. Maybe better than adults. Yeah. Yeah. I think before they know better, before the world tells them to be afraid of everything for sure. Yeah. That's interesting. So I kind of feel like, I don't know about you, but I feel like at least in my, you know, 60 plus years on this planet, I feel like we're in an age where people seem to me to be way more fearful than I remember just in general. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. There's definitely, we've created such a um, soft environment around us that to where there's not as many challenges in your daily life, whether it's, you know, extreme cold, extreme heat, extreme, you know, lifting heavy weights, whatever the, the thing is that causes discomfort on a daily basis, we've removed that from our lives. So when something uncomfortable does come up, it is more challenging to face, I think. Man, you are so right. I didn't think about that. We do. It's, it's slightly hot and mm -hmm. we can't handle it. We've got to get the AC on. We're yeah. Turn on the ceiling fan for an instant relief. Yeah. So we definitely have, have created a, a softer environment. So, okay, now some people might be thinking, well, why not? Why not have technology and things that allow us to be more comfortable? There's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like in general, it, it's helped in us uh, not knowing how to face as many fears and maybe just being even, not just fears, uncomfortable situations. Sure. And then... What happens is we've got our cushy little life going on. And let's face it, there's no such thing as anyone having a perfectly cushy life that hasn't had anything going on. Nope. We all have stuff. But when something like what happened to us happened where, you know, I call it life's two by four, comes and just whacks you over the head. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that Jamie going off the rails wasn't as much of a two by four because it happened over a period of time where all of a sudden she quits youth group and school and softball and you know, her family and it, it just, the things started falling apart and I couldn't stop her. And, you know, just all the crap and chaos that went on in those three years. But when we got that news that she was shot and, and it, it was near fatal for those of you that don't know the story, you know, we talked on the, our last podcast together that she had 50 staples holding her gut back together. It was an abdominal gunshot wound that they spent hours just cauterizing vessels and veins. It barely missed her iliac vein by an immeasurable distance is how they explained it. It's a miracle that she lived through it. Just being in the, you know that, just even being in that trauma hospital, I don't know if I'd ever even been in that, in that trauma hospital before. 
because we didn't we lived on the east side we didn't live near seattle so we always knew that harborview was this really great trauma hospital but i'm not sure i'd ever even been there um so just that all these new experiences that that was a whack over the head and then you know over the next yeah. decade was just a shit show well her murder and imminent trial to follow were obviously that proverbial two by four over the head that you you mentioned i mean but but think about the difference between i mean if we'd have imagined dealing with her murder back when when she first got shot i feel like her in a way her murder shocked me less than when she was shot the first time so we do we were forced to become stronger and more resilient for sure right yeah. right yeah. sometimes courage you know gets slapped out of you yeah yeah i mean you have two choices to either deal with it or let it destroy you and i think when you deal with it you're forced to get a little bit stronger because it takes strength to deal with it so for sure so i mean I got better, Sean, because I, number one, I, you know that I got better, number one, because of you. Because I didn't want to be, it made me sick. When I said those words to Rich, that I don't want to be here anymore, it literally made me sick to think that that was the role model I was going to have for you. I was going to teach you that when life gets tough, you want to die. Yeah. You want to crawl in a, in a ball and give up. What kind of a role model was that for you? So that, that was a really driving force. So thank you for being here in life, mm -hmm. just on this planet, because you really helped me to to do that, to stand up and fight. But, and then, you know, other thing I thought, really, that's my purpose. God stuck me on this planet so that I would have this horrible thing happen. And then they put a period on the end of my sentence and that's the end of my story. No, that no. can't be right. So, so I'm really glad that I stood up to fight and did what I did because it was only now, now between the time that Jamie was shot the first time and the time she was murdered was 12 years and 12 days. But between the time that she was shot the first time and I, you know, stood up to fight, you know, it was maybe a couple years where, I, you know, it took me a couple years to get there. But, but when I really got a lot better, it was only maybe two years later that she died. Mm -hmm. I mean, I stood up to fight and it was two. So we had this 10 year period where she was going through it. You got to remember, I wasn't fighting during those 10 years. There's a two-year period when I stood up to fight, wrote my first book, between that and us getting that knock on the door that she had been murdered. And so it, to me, it's incredible that you could get that much strength in that short a period of time that you could handle something like this. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it's it's tough because you spend all this time with a Home Depot bucket trying to scoop the water out of the ocean. And then you finally decide, you know what, I'm going to head back into the island and build a shelter for myself. And a storm comes along and rips the shelter off the ground and again your options are go back out there and build keep, another one keep building until you build one strong enough to survive the the storm or give up and die or and maybe build a stronger shelter the next yeah, time it's really simple your other option is to give up and die and i just personally for me i never saw that as an option not facing this stuff when it when jamie was shot in particular uh, or killed rather i should say the second time she was shot Never once did I think about quitting or giving up or not being there for a part of this. Yeah. That I, just wasn't an option that registered to me because just because her life ended doesn't mean that mine has to. I didn't see that as an an option. And in fact, living an even better life in honor of her memory is a, a much, much better way to think about it from my perspective. Absolutely. And also, I can remember that you said something to me. I don't remember exactly how you said it. It kind of made me feel a little badly, but... Well, if that's what, you know, you hang on to, that's a good thing. But you basically said something like, I have to be a good son now. Yep. Not that you didn't want to before, but you felt like, and I felt bad that you felt that pressure 
but you know, maybe it's what you said before on the, our last podcast where we were talking about good things coming out of bad and that being that um, hope and that light at the end of the tunnel. That's one good thing maybe that came out of all this is that it made you want to be a better person. Yeah. Being an unmarried barfly wasn't really an option after my <laughs> sister, after my sister was murdered. It was just sort of like somebody needs to, to give my parents some hope and some feelings of accomplishment. I mean, there is like a, there is absolutely a, a piece to that because uh, particularly when I hear you talk about feeling like a failure and like it was your fault that Jamie went down the road that she went down. Well, whose fault is it that I'm doing well then? So that was oh. sort of my answer to. Oh, wow. That's a good way. I like that. that. If, if you get to give yourself credit for the bad, you get to give yourself credit for the good. So. Oh yeah. I like that. It's... Thank you. That's super cool. So, but okay. So Jamie was murdered in August of 2016 for those of you who don't know. And, the reason we wanted to talk about this, not just about some of the stuff we just got through facing, because I think you'll find it maybe fascinating because it's like a Dateline episode. If we could tell you all of it, you you definitely think it was. But also that the, the patience that it has taken and neither one of us, Sean or I, were dropped, you know, onto earth here with a tremendous amount of patience. You know, we aren't, we just aren't wired that way. I feel like I've become way more patient over time without question more than I ever thought I would but the patience it was going to take for us to make it from the time she was murdered let me let me go back to do you remember how long they told us it was going to take to arrest him oh yeah they'd have him in a couple days he'll be locked up and then they'll have this thing buttoned up here in a pretty short period of time he was on the lam for two and a half years yeah two and a half years and, and he wasn't living like a no, it wasn't living like a member of the church. During no, that we can talk about either. this because it is in the news in the Phoenix area. But um, in the time well, that he was on the lam, what did I, he go out and do? I was living in Avondale, Arizona, and he murdered someone in Avondale, Arizona while I was living there. So he actually was Came hiding, into your hiding from the California police, moved to Arizona, started a whole nother life, lived right near me. And I had no idea and killed someone else. Which yeah. which broke our hearts in Arizona. I mean, it's awful for their family because as he should have been behind bars. We're waiting for the trial for Jamie to wrap up. This family doesn't even get to begin theirs until everything done in California is over. So talk it's, about patience. Yeah, it's sickening. They're they're going to be 15 years delayed behind us. I know. I know. I just, I want to wrap them in my arms. I feel so badly for them. You and I were just talking about that. Yep. So when I say he should have been behind bars, I, by the way, I'm not blaming the police department or the, you know, the law enforcement behind it. People were trying. It's just, you know, this is what he happened. He was hiding. You know, he was hiding. And they're good at it. So anyway, he gets arrested. So it was so weird because you were living over in Arizona. I live in Arizona now, but I was li actually living in California at the time. And so when he was arrested, we, Rich and I went to his arraignment. And I think this is important to understand because this is so important to face something. And you didn't understand what it meant to face because you didn't go to the arraignment. It happened very quickly. Rich and I went to the arraignment and we faced pure evil. I actually thought, Sean, I've told you this. I thought there was a piece of humanity in him when I saw him at the arraignment. So the arraignment was two and a half years after he killed Jamie. We've waited four <laughs> years for a preliminary hearing. For those who don't know what a preliminary hearing is, why don't you tell them what that is? It's essentially a miniature trial where they present the primary evidence that caused them to actually file these charges the judge, the defense attorney, 
and the district attorney, the defendant, and whoever. And when do you have a right to have one of these? Uh, expeditiously, whenever you feel. I think it's within sixty days in California. You have a right. Mm-hmm. He waived. Yeah, his so right. they essentially it's a miniature trial where they present all of the evidence, the primary evidence, and the judge dictates whether there is enough evidence to hold that person um, responsible for the charges of which they're being. Can charged. I just okay? Can I make a, a statement as a mom? Okay, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I'm not trying anybody in the public opinion or anything, but I'm sort of thinking if someone charged me with something I didn't do it, I'd want my preliminary hearing ASAP so I could get the heck out. Yeah, I wouldn't be living in county jail for four years. Yeah. I so, mean, six I don't like free meals that bad. No, no, not those. Yeah. Six and a half years we waited. And how many times were we told it's happening that Friday and on Wednesday we'd get a call on Thursday, on Tuesday, whatever. This happened so many times over the past year, right? Flight changes and plan changes and money spent. Disappointment. I took days off of work multiple times and then would have to tell my boss the day of, I am actually working today. Yeah, no, it's, it's not been fun. Now, I also said, it's interesting. So I'm the person who teaches about courage. And I'm the one who said, you know, I really don't want to go to this. I'm going. Don't get me wrong, but do I want to hear what he, what this monster did? All I knew is that the DA said to me one time, she said, I have seen the crime scene photos. I've seen everything. I saw what that monster did to your son. And all I can do now is cage him. So we knew it was bad. We just knew she was shot, but we didn't know how bad we didn't know. I didn't really, I was kind of hoping that, you know, I don't know, he could die in jail for all I care or something and we could avoid it. But at the same time, I wanted to get over this hump because yeah. they said it could be two more years to trial. But well, you had a different, you know, again, I was saying I'm the one who teaches on courage, but you never wanted the trial not to happen. You never wanted to not get to the preliminary hearing. You never planned to leave the courtroom or, um, you know, to not to avoid hearing or possibly seeing anything. Yeah. You were very determined. Yeah. I think the the idea for me was because I couldn't be there for Jamie in the way that she needed or I needed or whatever in her life. I can be there for her in the way that I need in my death or in her death rather. Um, so it's specifically, it's just for me to aggressively defend her posthumously because if he's not going to leave the courtroom, when they show the show f- photographs of the crime scene, when they talk about the, the <clears throat> nature of his crimes, nor am I, if he's going to sit there and face it down and his family is going to sit in there defending him as though he deserves defense. Yes, I understand that legally he does, but you'd have to see the evidence to understand why I said that. Yeah. Um, nor was I going to back down. And the the talk about a test of patience, I am not. I'm the least, pa- least patient person I know is myself. No questions asked. And to walk in there and not jump over and charge him and just start wailing on him until they pulled me off. That alone was enough of a test of patience for me. And I made some promises to myself that to defend Jamie, I would not make a noise, react, do anything that would jeopardize us being there for her trial. And I stood strong to those things. You and did. I, I am very proud of that because facing down somebody who I have such anger towards, to put it bluntly, and to force myself to be patient and accept that the judicial system has to run its course. And boy, was that a slow process that day. Yep. And that's one day. Oh Lord. Everything is methodical and asked and reiterated 
and put on the record and asked again if it objection was true. Objection sustained, and, objection oh. overruled. I, I don't know if objection I ever want to hear those words again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. it was So it's a painfully slow process, but it was also painful. So it's kind of interesting. You know, when you face, I think it was important for us to do it. Here's, here's the thing. We've had two DAs on this case because, again, it's been four years since he's been locked up. But the first DA flat out said to Rich and I, don't go to the preliminary hearing. I mean, he really did say, he said, I've seen one family member that's ever been able to sit through a preliminary hearing, and it was a dad. Never seen a mom ever sit through a preliminary hearing, uh, even close to it. He's like, they spend their time in the hallway. So you, it's, it's so difficult. And I remember crying and saying, but then who's going to be there for Jamie? And they mm -hmm. said, we're going to be there for her. Yep. And I remember telling you that and you going, nope, nope, nope. Now, I, w I don't think you'd change what you did and how you did it. And I'm so proud of you for doing it because when I found out where he shot her and how brutal it was, I left the courtroom because I was going to lose it. I was going to explode. I was going to scream. And I did say something not so nice to his family on the way out. But um, what I was going to say is, did, didn't it also give you a sense by facing not just that piece of, you know what, that there was people fighting for her mm -hmm. beyond us? We yeah. have no control over any of this. Yeah, I mean, right? even, even witnesses. Wasn't that a shocker? Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. I just so want to talk about that, Sean. Several people. I'll, I'll just say we, <sighs> we saw three people interviewed. Easy to Google search and see who they were. All three of them said really kind things about Jamie, which was also nice. So it almost yes. felt like. Yes, this, this uh, I'll call him old boy, so I avoid saying nasty POS. terms, but old boy had a couple of family members in there, but we had the defense attorney, the defense attorney's investigator, all the witnesses, all the law, all the, the victims, advocates, us three. It was definitely a landslide of uh, people supporting Jamie versus people supporting... POS. Yeah. So, yeah, people fighting for her and... Um... And that was certainly nice to see. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll share this. I've uh, already planned for during the trial, there will be a day where I've asked a bunch of my family members to come down and we want to pack out the courtroom, fill the entire thing up so that one day he turns around and sees that he has three people supporting him and she has 30 overflowing out into the hallway supporting her so he can see the amount of love that surrounds her even in her death. Yeah. And that he does not have that same thing even with the last little bit of life that he has left. Yeah, no, you guys, I... For us, we faced the devil that day. Remember, I said before that I thought there was a piece of humanity in him. The first no. time he kept turning, the first Truly time no he remorse. looked at me like he wanted to cry. This time, he, how would you describe what he did to me? Well, you didn't see it. Taunting. He taunted the mother of the murder victim. Murder victim. He turned around and laughed at me. And if you believe we're making that up, the bailiff actually advised him to turn and face forward and no longer acknowledge the the victim's family. So it was definitely, again, a test of patience because I mean, it would have felt amazing to stand up and hurl every last thing I could get out before they dragged me out of the room and say every thing under the book. Well, but, one of the witnesses did it though. Yes. <laughs> but the, the better thing for Jamie in defense of her to support her was to be patient and just wait it out because yeah. when he's found guilty during the sentencing hearing, and I literally get to have the last word, Yes. And he has to sit there and hear everything that I've wanted to say to him before they he hears those bars slam behind his back for the very last time that all the patience will be worth it. The support of Jamie will be worth it. Yeah. Because although I've mentioned I forgave him, 
I do forgive him That's in the ethereal than... in the ethereal sense of I don't walk around holding hatred towards him in my heart every day. I don't think about him hardly ever. But I do not forgive his crime, and he is to stand responsible for what he's done. Oh, we want justice in the biggest way. And I think people get confused about that when I say about forgiveness. It's just what you said, Sean. I don't he doesn't get to he blew a hole in my heart. Yeah. He doesn't get to live in my heart too. And listen, maybe I'm offering a lot of lip service because if we walked in here right now, I'd probably kick his head off his shoulders. Well, I might too. <laughs> um, I might too. That's And let's not though. say probably it's 100% certainty. <laughs> so maybe I'm just saying that to make myself feel better, but I can tell you guys this, it does. To just say the words out loud that I forgave him, I stopped thinking about him after that day. I really did give myself permission to only think about Jamie and to move on from... Yeah, but then this brought it all up, right? Yeah. It didn't but just still, bring it up. When I think of the trial and I think of the whole thing... I think of the witnesses. I think of my sister. I don't think of him. He's an afterthought. Obviously, his imminent punishment is ultimately what we're looking for, but he isn't the primary thing. And going no. to that trial wasn't, the pre-trial hearing rather, wasn't this horrible traumatizing thing for me. It humanized my sister even more to me. I'm really glad I did it. I have more understanding of who she was and what her life was and the people around her. And <clears throat> I don't know. I feel like it was worth it in every aspect of the of the words. I agree. And I, Sean, it's kind of interesting because I remember telling you that he doesn't look like you, you're going to think. And you coming away with that, that thing. But, you know, just for an example, when he's turned around, he's taunting me. I had zero fear. I didn't feel... You know what I thought? Pathetic. You pathetic idiot. You're pathetic. sitting there in a 3X orange jumpsuit with a stamp on the back of it of your county. And, you know, you got shackles and, you know... Really? A sling and a wheelchair. and Yeah, he's pathetic. But you mentioned something about these people in her life. Okay, Jamie's living a life of addiction. Sure. And yep. she's doing things we already knew that weren't, you know, the most upstanding. And, and we always knew who she was, but we were not fooling ourselves with her lifestyle. So we had to hear some very uncomfortable things. Not to mention the defense attorney's job is to make it sound as if Jamie deserved to die. Yep. She did everything she could to paint that picture of Jamie. To character assassinate her. But when I think about courage, I am astounded because I already knew courageous people. And, you know, Tucker the other day said, why don't you go look in the mirror? For you to deal with what you're dealing with your daughter, you're courageous. Oh, gee, I kind of forget I'm courageous because I'm living it. You mm -hmm. probably think the same thing. But I look around and see courageous people all the time. In a million years, I never thought I would walk away from the preliminary hearing thinking the way I do about three people who are never going to win citizen of the year. Yeah. So why don't you talk about these three? Cause didn't you feel gratitude and just awe of their courage? Empathetic to all three of their situations as well. Um, you know, one person was a mother of, of children and, and expressed serious fear about speaking on the day and, Cared for Jamie deeply. And she had been... And had been... People had followed yes, her. she had and... been advised not to speak. And the second person who came up was, um, by all accounts, a hard man um, who shed tears in the courtroom when fearing for the safety of his family because he had been directly threatened with actual violence. And then the third person who, who lives... Right in the middle of all that. She lives in the same house where it happened. In the same house. And 
was sort of uh, her mother sort of thrust this life upon her because she's in addiction and has people coming in and out of the house selling and doing drugs and everything. And I think it made me really feel bad for these three people and the fact that they were willing to take the time out of their not-so-coherent lives to come... And be, they be were there, very coherent, and too. And be there for, for Jane. But their lives are... Yeah, they're... Are, are, well, one are, of them came in chains. Yeah, and I mean, the other... You know, all three of them are admitted drug addicts, and they're up there defending Jamie because they felt it was right thing to do. It really humanized them, and, and I felt empathy for them. And yeah, the person who came in chains probably... I mean, in another life, I'd have a beer with the guy, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's really... But to me, to me, Sean, when I think about the number of times that each person in this world has an opportunity to be courageous in whatever way, to face something difficult, and we say no. Even if we have something to gain, we, we often say no. Yeah, sure. It's just too hard. None of those people had anything to gain, and they had a lot to lose. Yeah. I mean, their lives. And they did it anyway. Yep. Yeah, the courage that they had because of the impact that Jamie had on them, they decided to face down the possibility of actual violence or death against their lives and have that courage for our family and because they cared about Jamie, which to me was ultimately my takeaway from it, was there were people that loved her regardless of what she was doing how she was living her life and what was happening around her. There were people that really cared about her that were, that are willing to put themselves in harm's way to do the right thing for her. And that to me was made the whole damn day worth. Sean, you bring up such a good point because I feel like nobody wants their kid living the way Jamie was. Let's face it. I mean, she was going to be the first woman, but she had love, but that's the point that people miss is that we just think they're all they're doing is sticking needles in their bodies. It's not all bad times. They're not, not. they're not sitting around 24 seven, I mean, multiple people said they were asked, why was Jamie your friend? Because she was just really cool. She was great to talk to. She would talk about her family. We would have these great conversations. Everybody said the same thing. She was awesome to talk to. They they sat around. They knew each other. They spoke. They had heard each other's stories and histories. And yes. She, and what was the last an, thing she talked about before she, she died? Yeah, her family. Her family. And it made That, me, that it, made me feel sad, but also happy. Proud, yeah. Yeah. It made enough of an imprint on these people where it felt noteworthy to repeat in a court case where you're scared for your life. Yeah. So by the way, this is a small town, people. This is in Indio, California. It's a small town. It was in the newspaper that night. It was on the news. I guess it was on the 10 o'clock news or whatever that night. People have told me they saw it. Um, and definitely in the news reports that are online are the names of the witnesses, their real names, not their street names. Um, they risk their lives, and I'm just, I, I'm so blown away and, and, and beyond grateful, but they're ins- I would have never in a million years, Sean, thought three people in addiction, one incarcerated, one who's obviously not mom of the year with all these kids, would ever inspire me. But I'm actually inspired to be a more courageous person because of those three people. Completely agree. And there's one more person I wanted to mention in all of this that had a tremendous amount of courage, and I'm going to try not to cry. But um, before Jamie died, maybe you can talk about it, what she did, her courage. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, without sharing too much information about it, but essentially Jamie deferred the 
um, the defendant away from someone else protected that person. Yeah, she the, stepped in front of a gun. Yeah, the final words that that person said to mom as she left the lobby of the courtroom was, Jamie saved my life, which was really nice to hear. It was and nice didn't one to of hear... them say she seemed to have no fear? Yep. About yep. it. It was like, it was a reaction. So I guess, Sean, the point I think you were trying to make a minute ago was that these... To think that because someone's in addiction, I'm not excusing anybody's behavior in addiction, doing illegal things. If Jamie did anything illegal, I believed she belonged in jail. I'm not excusing it. You're not advocating any of that. No, but to think that that they are nothing and that there's no value to their lives is just not right. Well, it's like I've always said to you, and you know, I've I've been steadfast at this since the day she died. People will say to me, I'm really sorry about that thing that happened. And I always said, you mean my sister being murdered? She was a human being. She lived a life regardless whether you agreed with it or not. She had fears, joys, loves. She had good, bad, you name it. She was still a human being and she's not that thing that happened. She's my sister who was murdered and it's really sad. But I won't ever shy away from talking about that. No, she was very Because she was still a human being. And you know, I think by us doing that, Sean, we're helping. And I think we it helps because I put things out there about Jamie and her birthday and all that stuff. I refuse to be ashamed of her. And exactly. Her that's what Absolutely it is. Absolutely refuse. But do you know how many people are hiding in the shadows because they've had a son or daughter that's died in that addiction world and they're afraid and they're embarrassed. And, and, um, so sometimes people will post and say, my son, you know, died, whatever. And I'll say, do you mind if I know his name? Mm-hmm. Cause I don't want to just think about it. It's this son that died. It's your precious son name, whatever. And if you're afraid to say something because you're worried your friends will judge you? Get new friends. Yeah. Because anyone who truly cares about you has to understand the love that you have for a family member who's going through this or has gone through this or has lost the battle with this or has or lost their life. Or some of them are in prison. Some of these or sons and daughters are in prison. Whatever it is. Yeah. And anyone who's judging you for that, that is a projection of their own insecurity because deep down there's probably something else going on in their life and focusing on your struggle might be the easier topic because everyone's aware of it. But everybody's dealing with something, and if somebody can't be there for you, then there's no need to have that person in your life. No, there's plenty of other people you can link arms with. So I think this is the takeaway from us just having this frank discussion here that it wasn't planned at all what we were going to say or what direction. But I think it's just, if, if, if you take anything away from this, maybe two things. Find the courage to do something that scared you. Because, you know, if this girl is still living in the house where this murder occurred and her name was in the paper and she knew it would be, had the courage to do that. The guy whose family was threatened, the mother whose family, these people have been threatened. This is a serious situation here. They could end up like Jamie. They had the courage to do the right thing Mm -hmm. with nothing to gain and everything to lose. A lot of people listening now need to face something when they do have something to gain or maybe something bad to lose, right? Something... And but we're we're letting fear get in the way of of that. The other thing I think you just made me really think about it, Sean. People who have family members in addiction, you don't have to stay in the chaos. You shouldn't stay in the chaos. They should be responsible for their actions. We're not none. We're not saying that. But for you to run around and hide in the shadows, afraid to say your loved one's name, no. Have the courage because someone else needs to hear that story because someone else has a loved one. They're afraid to say their name too. The final, the final thought that I have on this, I'm going to steal a famous quote because I don't think it can be said any better. But if you get knocked down nine times, 
get up 10. Yes. Amen. Always get back up. Thank you, Sean, again for joining me today. And hopefully that won't be the last one. Hey, I can't believe we didn't mention it in the last uh, podcast episode. We have an event coming up in Phoenix. I believe it's October 6th and 7th, the first weekend of October. It's Friday, Saturday. And Sean's going to come and talk more. We're going to have some really great speakers. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's called Warriors and Hope. Obviously, it's going to be hopeful. I think maybe a couple tears might be shed. Sure. Is that fair? Yep. People are going to be challenged in ways that might make them a little uncomfortable, but there's going to be a lot of laughs too. So I hope you will join us in Phoenix. If you have you know, anything that you've been through, anywhere not even close to what we're going through, it doesn't have to have anything to do with addiction, any kind of trauma or pain or fear that you're going through. This would be an incredible, maybe the two best days of your year. Could be two of the most important days of your life. Agreed. So hopefully we'll see you there. Remember, whatever you're going through, wherever you are in this world, you should never feel alone because you're not alone. Sean and I are standing right there with you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. I will see you next time. And in the meantime, if you want to jump into Warriors and Hope and get access to free resources and check out all of our other coaching and resources, go to warriorsandhope.com. Whatever you're going through, know that you are not alone. I'm standing right there with you and alongside you as you stand up and learn how to fight, how to become a warrior in hope.